everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. I know you'll be alright Even when times get hard And you feel like you're in the dark You will see Just how beautiful life can be When you soften your heart You can finally start To live your truthiest life Welcome back to The Truthiest Life. If it's your first time here, hello, welcome. I'm your host, Lisa Haim. And on this podcast, we learn about how life's hardest moments oftentimes force us to become our most authentic selves. And in this episode we have today, it is absolutely no exception. We are talking about loss of a partner, grief, even happiness that exists within the framework of grief, and an awakening that often comes with the hard stuff. Our guest and her story will not disappoint you, that is for sure. I just wanted to wish you a happy, happy new year. I hope you're taking it day by day, recognizing that the best way to support you is to just stay connected to your needs and honor them, recognizing that they might be unpredictable and changing, and they might even compete with whatever you said you would do for 30 days. But I truly believe that the greatest thing that we can do for our health, our well-being, even our confidence and our authenticity is to choose ourselves every single day and stay deeply connected to our truth. Unrelated note, when I'm not running this podcast, I'm helping people improve their relationship to food, but really it's about improving their relationship to their entire selves by providing real tools to listen, honor, and trust their bodies. We all have this innate wisdom, but it's kind of buried beneath us, right? And I'd be lying if I didn't admit that there is noise and distractions all around us. And that's why I created online programs called Fork the Noise, because it's only once we can identify the distractions, the noise, can we really pivot away from them and return back to honoring our own needs. Anyway, I have a new program called Fork the Noise Hunger Fullness. I haven't spoken about it on this podcast yet, but it's all about reconnecting with hunger and fullness sensations. And just about everybody I know struggles in some way with this, whether they identify with having disordered eating or not. Understanding what the gentle cues in our bodies that guide us to and away from food is kind of like a lost art. And believe it or not, I have found the comfortable solution. I have helped hundreds of people reconnect with a better way to 
live where they're not thinking about food all the time and they're not struggling with being so hungry or so full. That's where the two places I used to spend a lot of my time, but rather we're just feeding our body appropriately. And I know it sounds kind of easy, but for a lot of us, it's not because there's been a lot of noise to silence the sensations that do guide us. So if you are feeling disconnected to those cues, I am here to provide techniques that in the program are a little bit mechanical upon learning, but I do promise that it becomes second nature over time because these cues are already within you. They are just buried beneath the noise. This course technically launched last Sunday, but it is pre-recorded videos. So each week we launch a new module. So we're still only up to module one. And I extended it till this Sunday, January 10th, for any last minute joiners who want to join this class. So if you want to learn more, you can go to forkthenoise.com forward slash HF. And any questions, feel free to email me. Let's jump into today's episode. So today we have a very special guest. It's Christine Carlson, who is a mother and a grandma, a world-famous author, a sought-after speaker, and Christine's mission is to help people find joy and partake in self-discovery while in the face of grief or any transition. Christine lost her husband when he was just 45 years old, so she knows firsthand how to find happiness through the various stages of grief. I'm so excited to welcome you to the podcast, Christine. You have so much wisdom and passion to give this world, and you truly embody what this podcast is about, which is living with a soft, open heart, even though the world kind of keeps throwing the rocks and the hard stuff at you. So thanks for your time and chatting with me. Of course, it's so wonderful to be here. And thank you for doing the podcast, The Truthiest Life. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. And we were connected through an amazing follower who will not be named because she likes her privacy. But this follower just, you know, she's somebody that just stands out and has always been so warm. And when she asked me if she could connect me with you, for me, it was this full circle moment because your late husband's most well-known book, I believe, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, was incredibly transformative for me and so serendipitously landed in my lap four years ago during a time where I was looking for answers and this beautifully written to the point book that has so much wisdom packed into it just landed on my lap and I keep it next to my bedstand. I've gifted it to so many friends and family. So to be speaking to you here today and to honestly, I have to tell you, I didn't know that he had passed. You know, I was just took for granted this book that was on my lap. I never went the extra layers to learn about Richard and you. So I'm so glad that I have because your books are also incredible. Oh, thank you so much. I love hearing stories like that. There's so many influencers. You can't believe how many were Don't Sweat the Small Stuff was sort of their entree into the self-help world. And and they started by helping themselves, of course. And then and then it, it shifted them in a way that they wanted more. So I think he, if he were alive today, he would say that would have been his greatest hope was to bring people to the door and then let them find more after that, but bring them to the door of, of what it really feels like to serve, to really help themselves and practice life in a much happier way. And I think that that book certainly does it because it gives you just a taste and it's not too philosophical or just so tangible. That's what it is. It's tangible to the point. And I'm so happy to have connected with you and to learn more about Richard in real life because it's not very often that, for me at least, that the people that I look up to so much are who they are outside of the pages that they write when it comes to celebrities or not necessarily authors, but anybody who I kind of build up in my head to hear who Richard was through your book, From Heartbreak to Wholeness in Real Life. It inspires me that we can be amazing in our public figures, but also amazing in our home life, which is probably more important. Uh, that, yeah, thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's very challenging for you know, authors that make it, you know, somewhat, they have a lot of success, you have to really make a concerted effort to stay grounded in your own philosophy and in your spiritual life. And, and really know, I think the, the difference between maybe uh, Richard at his young age, when he wrote Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, and a lot of authors was that he really wasn't doing it for any reason other than to, you know, serve humanity and also earn a living for his family, you know. <laughs> it was pretty, he, he just loved to write and he loved to um, share his wisdom and, and uh, he knew 
the tenets of what it would take to um, make a happy life. So it was like I kind of divide my life into two sections, the life I have now and the life that I lived with Richard, although they're, you know, very blended by my work and my family. Um, it definitely feels like a different life now, but it was a very happy life then. <laughs> Right. I think everybody who I've interviewed, whatever their marker is, whether it's a loss or an event or some sort of awakening, as you call it, divides their life in that pre and that post. And what I really love about your book is you really take us through what that in-between stage between the pre and the post. And you talk about these things that I think everybody wants to hear. So my goal for today is to begin by learning about your awakening, as you call it, and then expanding that a little bit more broadly so that our listeners can extract and apply your wisdom to their own journeys. So can you tell us about life before Richard passed? So what, like, obviously your marriage seems really wonderful, but what was life like for you before he passed? Well, you know, most people who have kids, they realize, you know, our kids uh, were in high school at the time. So Jazz was um, graduating senior and Kenna was a freshman in high school. And, you know, we had a really busy life. We were managing, you know, their lives and family life and balance and all of that. But the, 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 the really wonderful thing is that Richard and I had a wonderful marriage. And we used to say a lot that we had a lot of issues, but not with each other. So... <laughs> So, you know, but we, um, we had a wonderful marriage and he was a wonderful father and, you know, just, he, he just was a great man. I mean, he really stood up to his image of what people would have hoped um, he would be. Uh, he had a just wonderful heart and a low ego and he loved to play and, you know, we, we just had a really great life. And yet, you know, there was a part of me at the time of his death where I, I had this one session with a friend who I served on the board of Challenge Day, which is a really wonderful organization for kids. I had this session with my friend who is rich. He's the founder of Challenge Day. And he was asking me right before Richard died, maybe a month or so before he died, what I felt really passionate about. And I remember just having this sort of empty feeling. And I said, passion, what do I need to be passionate about? <laughs> you know, and it was such a really raw, honest answer, but I, I wasn't feeling engaged in my life the way I would really want to. And I wasn't sure what my life's purpose was at that point, you know, because at that point, my kids were in high school and I was starting to, you know, my, my oldest daughter was going off to college and here I've been a mom all these years. And of course, I had written two New York Times bestselling books, one with Richard and one on my own, but I hadn't really owned my life as an author. I just sort of did those things because they were presented to me to do. And I sort of shoved them away in the drawer like, okay, I'm done with that. And anyway, so I, I think, you know, there, there was this really feeling of not knowing what my life's purpose was going to be and kind of knowing that I should do more writing, but not knowing what I should write about. And so it was just like, bam, you know, it was like in that moment, you know, a month later, I mean, literally like Richard was gone. And, you know, that kind of very quick loss is it's just like having the rug pulled out from under your feet. I mean, it's sort of like what people have been dealing with on some level with this pandemic, you know, you're suddenly just mm -hmm. in it and you, and you have to do this huge, you know, you're just shifting all around like an earthquake happened and trying to find the ground again. And so when I talk about awakening, I talk about what it felt like to kind of have that loss just shatter my entire, the wall. I didn't even know I had built up around my heart. It just really had shattered all the layers of stuff that I didn't know was keeping me from really feeling, ultimately really feeling alive and really feeling my life in a way that makes me feel so alive, you know? And, and so grief really came in, in my world and really taught me that, that I wasn't living as awake as I could have been. And, you know, but I've, I've lived really awake ever since. So it's, it's been the great gift of what I, of my loss is that it, it really showed me and taught me how much more feeling there is to life. And then I really prescribed by a, a quote that I read in Cahil Gibran's The Prophet, which is, your greatest joy is your sorrow unmasked. And mm. when I lived that and really lived into that, I realized that if I could allow my sorrow to just melt 
every ounce of barrier that I had between me and love, then I would become more of who I am, you know, and, and really from a truly authentic place in my heart. And, and that's exactly what happened. And, and it, it was a beautiful experience, despite the fact that it's not an experience you wish on anyone. And it's not an experience mm-hmm. you wish for again. It was um, just an, a really beautiful, a beautiful time, albeit an extremely painful time in my life. Right. And I mean, just to back up a little bit, you know, you said that right before he passed, uh, your kids are in high school and you said your life was really busy. Yet it was, you know, with your kids much older, the caretaking is a little bit off of your plate. And so to be busy but not clear on your purpose is really interesting because we think if we're busy, then we're purposeful. But sometimes when we're we're busy, we're just building that wall up around us and kind of creating like a wall between your heart and yourself, not necessarily even the world. It's just like, who am I? And you don't know, but you're too busy. And all the little things that you're doing that make you so busy, you know, feel so important. Important. I mean, even in Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, one of my favorite chapters is, you know, life is not a great emergency. And whether you're a billionaire running a Fortune 500 company or a stay-at-home mom, I think you could have that perceived level of busy, I got to do this, this and this. And then all of a sudden you're really busy, but you're kind of lost. And you know, I think a lot of people probably don't know how your husband passed, but a little bit different than COVID because I don't believe he was sick at all, right? There was an embolism on a flight and nothing kind of leading up to it traveling, right? Yeah. I mean, there was nothing truly identifiable that led up to his death. He was having a few symptoms that I realized later, but there was no, you know, when you're in your mid forties, you know, you just think you're not like in that awareness that this vibrant man is just, is going to die suddenly, you know? So he wasn't sick before. There, no. You didn't have that opportunity to be in the sick phase, even if, you no, know, no, 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 no. he wasn't feeling great. Like there was something, you know, like he kind of felt a little fluish for a day. And, and, but that was just sort of like, you just think, oh, I, it's, it's winter. I might have the flu or something that kind of But no, there wasn't any sickness. And no ability to say goodbye. You know, he was on a flight and then you got the call, right? Yeah. Ironically, he did leave notes all over our house. I mean, it was just crazy. You know, he he left this poem, If Tomorrow Never Comes. And he he was a very conscious man. I know he didn't know he was going to die, but there were these signs that his soul was telling him to tie things up, you know, to tie up loose ends. You know, on his website, do you remember that chapter, when you die, your in-basket won't be empty? Yeah. Yes. On um, his website that day, he had a quote for the day, on, and on his website the day he died, it said, when you die, your in-basket won't be empty. But he left a message right before he got on the airplane. Um, he, he died from a pulmonary embolism on the descent of a flight. And so when he got on the airplane, he sent his assistant a message, and he was like, hey, um, it's almost Christmas. We go out and get Chris one of those little things called an iPod. And because this was like 15 years ago. And he said, and he goes, I feel so caught up on everything right now. I feel so great. You know, and so it was kind of ironic and and very paradoxical that 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 quote was on his website that day and that he felt really caught up. (laughs) I mean, I I believe in your book that the doctors used the words expired, which is just not human. You know, it's it isn't. It's a really clinical word for death. It, It was really hard for me to wrap my head around from a phone call from New York, you know, and so you know, for me, it was very interesting because, of course, I, I was in denial for the first hour. But I think because of my understanding of healing and my understanding of life, I just sort of knew that denial was a really dangerous place to tarry. And because I also knew how difficult it was going to be for my family and I to wrap our heads around this because he literally walked out the door and we never saw him again. He went on a flight and he flew to New York, but he never, his body didn't come back. So, you know, we just, we never saw him again. And so I, you know, and for years I just had this feeling like, oh, he's just going to walk in the door again. You know, he's going to walk in the door, but I wasn't in denial about it. I, I, one of the things I did, which was really unusual was I called everybody in his address book and told them myself because I didn't want them to hear from somebody other than me, you know, that that this had happened. And I knew that that's what Richard would have wanted. But I think I also did that so that it would make it real for me. 
so that I would sink right into the reality that this had happened. I needed to understand that this really had happened to my life. And maybe even like asking for support in some way, even though you probably didn't want to take it, you know, let the frontline friends and family know the hard stuff. But yeah, I think, you know, reading about how you moved out of denial by picking up the phone is is so interesting to me. And you also made a really interesting parallel. You know, I'm a registered dietitian and I help people with disordered eating. That's kind of what I'm trained to do, although I love to have these sorts of conversations. And you said you were in denial about your eating disorder for some time and that turned the days into weeks and the weeks into months. And before you knew it, you were, you know, killing yourself essentially. Oh, yeah. I mean, a long time ago, I didn't have an eating disorder at this time in my life, but yes, when I was very young, I did. And I recovered from it in my early 20s. But yes, and I think that that's what taught me that denial was such a dangerous place to, you know, to be in was you could just drop into a place in your mind where you were. Yeah, I, I totally understood what denial was because of my eating disorder. <laughs> yeah, I just I, I really appreciated that you added that note in about denial because we can deny anything. And again, what you said, the days turn to, to weeks, the weeks turn to months, and you're just in this vicious cycle unless you break it. And you broke it by doing the hardest thing, making it real. So I think that's just there's something for all of us to kind of take away from that about our own denial and getting real with ourselves and doing the hard thing. On our quick call, you said something that kind of shook me a little bit, and we touched upon it just a moment ago. But you said that before, even though your marriage was wonderful and your life was fulfilled and you were this woman that was very envied by you know society, your husband was this author and you're a best-selling author yourself, you were sleepwalking through life. And then suddenly you were awake. So what does it mean to sleepwalk through life? You know, I think of it like... For me, I, I had this awareness of what consciousness was because I had this incredibly rich spiritual background of meditation and you know, literally going to ashrams with gurus, you know, just like a really amazing, uh, rich background. And yet there was a part of me that was going through my life without feeling the joy in the way that I knew I should feel it. And not, not being able to allow myself tears when I knew I should be able to cry. Just not allowing myself. I was blocked from feeling life and feeling all of it. And that's what I didn't understand. I, I knew I wasn't feeling a lot of passion, um, but I didn't understand why. And I think what had happened is that there's this sort of, for me, there was this sort of complacency that grew out of our success. And and it wasn't really obvious to the outside world because, of course, I was super involved in my in my family life and my kids' school and, you know, all the things I did. I was super active. I didn't feel like I was living to my human potential at that time either. Like, I just didn't feel like I knew what my end game was going to be or where, what, how I was going to really serve. And, and so I just, I just think it was just such an interesting thing because as soon as Richard died, I was sort of like aware that this was how I was supposed to serve, like was to go mm -hmm. through this process, witness myself in it, allow myself to heal and then let myself emerge from that and then share with others, you know? And um, so it, it's interesting how as much as I loved him and as close as we were and as happy as we were together, my life took on greater meaning after he died. I always thought my job was to hold his space and hold his world and support him. And, and it was, and I did. And then, you know, and then after he died, I realized, oh, okay, I, I'm, I'm also a teacher. I need to step up. I need to step in. Yeah, you immediately, where most people become the victim, and I say that without judgment for anybody who might be going through something right now and they're in that victim mindset and they don't know their way out. I So again, I mean that lovingly if you're listening and you're in that space. But it's like you went almost immediately, it sounds like, to hero of your own life. And I think it's interesting because you described yourself as like the rock of the family. And the rock, a rock is a rock. You know, it doesn't cry. It doesn't laugh. It's very sturdy. We like rocks. You know, we maybe take them home and put them on display. But, you know, as soon as he died, it cracked you open. I think it's interesting that you said that you, you cried more and you had 
and you laughed more, recognizing that these highs and lows that we often kind of call bad having highs and lows, like we think that we should be just rocks, the highs and lows are really human. And it broke you, but like opened you. Exactly. I I remember I was writing in my journal one day and I was just like, oh my God, I've been heartbroken open. (laughs) And that was, that became the name of my, my first memoir that I wrote after his death was called Heartbroken Open, a memoir through loss to self-discovery. Again, you went from this envied woman to one that these are your words, but I know that, you know, if a a woman across the street lost her husband, I would feel very badly for her. So Mm -hmm. one that people all of a sudden didn't envy overnight in a blink of an eye. It's like you changed costumes, as you call it, from devoted wife and strong mother to single mother full of self-doubt and fears. And it wasn't just, I'm a hero. I know what to do with my life. Mm. There was, of course, you know, some big, big worries. So I guess one of my questions is, how can we allow the awakening or the birthing of ourselves to happen when we feel the perceptions of others weighing on us? Like, did you care that the perception of how other people saw you changed and did that get in your way the only time I really cared was when I when I felt that sense of pity because I didn't feel a lot of self-pity and I didn't want other people to pity me I I had really looked at my life and felt so blessed and I had such a great life and and I I kind of just instinctively knew that the way back to my great life was not to wallow in self-pity you know like was to really step in so when I would feel people pity me, it would just it would just feel wrong because I wanted to say, and I often did, look, you know, I'm no different than anyone else. I've had a great life and I have all of it's ha- going to happen to me. It's all going to happen to all of us. You know, it just happened to me earlier, you know, than a lot of people. Like I, I went through, you know, I had never gone through a loss before. Not my parents are still alive. Richard's parents were still alive. I mean, I'd lost a couple of high school friends, you know, like people do, but nobody that I'd ever been really super, super close to like this. So, but I didn't, I didn't like the feeling of, of pity. And I had this one conversation with this one woman. I don't know, it was something with my car. I was working on, had to get a dent repaired in my car. And I was talking to this gal and she had lost her husband five years earlier and she was young and he'd he'd been in a boating accident. And I just remember talking to her and she was so full of self-pity. And here I was only like, you know, six, seven months into my loss and I didn't feel the same as she did, you know, and I, I just remember feeling so aware that this woman was stuck and, and it was as if this happened to her yesterday and it had been five years. And I thought at that time, I'm like five years. I'm like, you know, time is standing still in the first part of your grief. Like every day feels like a year, you know, like every day just feels like forever. So five years to me just seemed like, oh my God. I don't want to be that woman. Like, I don't want to be that woman stuck in that place as if this happened yesterday. And you're, you know, you're right about um, the part about choosing, really choosing to be the hero. But, but I want to also make something really clear to everyone listening. And that is that it, it's really important that you do choose to be the hero of your own story, that you don't feel victimized by life. But this is a principle that that is going to guide you through all of your life, not just through a huge loss, but through every single day. If we live at the affect of circumstances of our life in day to day, then life is beating us up all the time. If you decide that you're not going to live at the affect of your life and you're going to, you know, you're going to, you're going, you're going to change what you can and accept what you cannot change. And you're going to have a, as positive as an attitude as you can, as you step forward in life, that's a much more empowered place to live. But also I want to say that when you go through a dramatic loss, you're going to go back and forth between these two mindsets of being a victim and being a hero. You know, like you're going to feel really strong some days and then something's going to trigger you and you're, you're going to ask the same questions like, why did this happen? Why did this happen? And, you know, sometimes we, we will never get the answer to why unless you determine in your own life what the why is, you know. So I, I don't really prescribe to the idea that everything happens for a reason, but I do believe that we have the ability to find the reason why things happen for us. And, you know, I certainly know from my own experience that everything that happens can teach you something. And it's up to you to 
determine what kind of growth you're going to have from this negative thing. And I always say, well, if something bad's going to happen, I'm going to definitely grow from it because <laughs> there's got to be something good that comes out of it. And I want to be a changed mm-hmm. I want to always be changing and I always want to be getting better in my life. And I think when you make that determination for yourself, it doesn't mean that you don't go through as much pain as the next person or suffering or you go, don't go through grief. It just means that you're likely to come out the other side with a lot more um, wisdom and a lot more feelings of empowerment. And, you know, we've kind of described this awakening that you've had as very positive, but You've also said that you're very sensitive to all these new stimulus around you because before you were kind of blunted and less looking at everything, less feeling everything, and now you feel everything. And that's one of the more tough things is that it's like seeing clearly we think is this really great thing, but sometimes seeing clearly is really the hard thing. Do you feel that way? Yeah, I mean, I have to say, you know, all these years later, I'm probably a little more numbed out now. (laughs) I don't feel things quite as dramatically. But during that time, I was super sensitive and people will find themselves super sensitized to their environment. You're, You're raw, you know, you're very, very raw and exposed when you're going through that kind of grief and that kind of loss. So it takes a while before you can even hear somebody else's pain, you know, because you just feel everything so much. I think that there's a time for protecting yourself when you're like that. You know, there's a time Mm. for sequestering yourself to silence and, and allowing yourself to just really heal, you know, like really, really heal. And, um, I definitely did that. I definitely, uh, first four months when my husband died, I didn't even leave my house except to do something for my children. And that was the only reason I would go. And I, I chose supermarkets that, um, were further away from my home that I wouldn't bump into people that I knew. And I isolated myself intentionally to just a few close friends that I really trusted myself to be around because they could hold me because I was just a mess. I mean, I was just an absolute mess. I mean, I cried nonstop, you know, for months and months and months. I just, I cried at night to my bed sheets were sopping wet and I'd wake up, you know, in tears and I'd go to sleep in tears. And anytime my kids weren't around me, I was crying, you know? So you don't want to be around people when you're like that. (laughs) Well, I just think you need to take up space in your, in your own way. I, I know that you spoke about a friend who was going through chemotherapy and all of her friends wanted to come and support her and, and show her love. But what was best for her was this isolating. I think sometimes we think isolating is the bad thing, but I think when you are going through this specific stage of grieving, only you know what you need. And, you know, I just want everyone to just feel empowered to take whatever they need, even if that means telling someone they can't come over because... I think people also like to check their boxes of being a good friend and a good sister and a good whatever. And even though those things might be true, you know, you need that quiet time to see clearly again and go through maybe I guess that why me phase and the sobbing through your, you know, your sheets phase, which it it made me cry just picturing you going through that. It, It really it really does. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, 
Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. So, yeah, I think that not every listener can relate to your exact story, but I think we can all relate to heartbreak in some way, whether it's getting sick or saying goodbye to a life we had before. Uh, Even with COVID, that's something that people are grieving or getting dumped or fired or divorced. We all feel pain. So what are the first steps, would you say, to being our own hero? Well, I like to say what I did was um, I followed the path of surrender, trust, accept, you know, that there was a mantra that Richard and I learned a long time ago um, in our 20s. And I like to say it works pretty well in traffic too, because (laughs) when you get in traffic, you know, you're in a situation that you can't change. And surrender isn't about giving up or giving in. Surrender is about allowing yourself to trust in a healing process, allowing yourself to be in it and be in full trust of your body. You know, like if you can surrender your mind and let your body lead you in any kind of loss that you're going through for any reason, your body will has this just total innate healer inside and knowledge and will actually teach you how to grieve, how to let go. But you have to surrender a lot of your your mind. I like to think of it like the the different cycles of thought that we get on. And you know, for example, when you're very very present and you practice presence, you're you're not like in your past, you're not in your past regrets and you're not in your future worry. And one of the things I like to talk to people in grief about is that in normal life you have these these tapes that play, but you're Tapes in grief are quite different than your tapes that you had before grief. But you have to be aware of your own thinking and where your thinking is taking you. And this is not to say that you in the present moment won't feel sadness because you do. But it's a different experience than when you're in this mind chatter of this this tape that might be taking you into your grief. Because if you're in your past, you're probably having past regrets. You know, like my tape went something like, gee, Chris, you know, what kind of wife were you that you didn't see that your husband was sick? Like, how could you be a good wife and not know? Or, or why didn't you stop this? Had you, had you been more aware, you could have stopped this. So these were the kinds of things that I would tell myself. And, and I started to be aware of that. That'd make me feel pretty shitty, right? Like, it wouldn't make me feel good. <laughs> And then I would also, I couldn't look to my future because I'd never even known my life as an adult woman without my husband in it. I was, had been with him for 25 years and I was 43 years old. So I, I couldn't look to my future without him um, because it caused me so much pain just to think of the next day without him. So I, I would bring my attention back to the present moment and I would surrender my mind to the present moment. And then I just trusted in this natural ability that uh, to heal, you know, like my stomach would start to hurt when I wasn't crying enough. And I would realize, oh, I have a tummy ache. I'm not allowing myself to cry enough. And so when I cry, guess what? My stomach felt better and it, my body would teach me. I'd also feel better when I would allow myself to lay on my floor in literally a surrendered position with my arms all the way out, my legs out in a spread eagle. And then I would just breathe and my body might just start to shake. Then the grief would come and my tears would come and I could sob and I could cry. And then afterwards, I just felt this like total sense of peace come over me, like this just beautiful sense of peace. And and that's how your body teaches you, rewards you for the allowing yourself to express what's inside out by the feelings that you have of peace afterwards. So I I have a family member who, for lack of a better word, is a professional victim. And said family member went through something really real recently. And since then, a family member has had every ache and pain from toe to heart 
to head, to skin, to nails, to whatever. And the days are spent going to every single doctor. And from an outside looking in, um, it's very obvious to me (laughs) that after we've checked off all the major boxes and the doctors keep saying nothing here, the person refuses. Nah, that's kind of not the right word. The person doesn't believe that there could be an emotional connection to these things because they feel so real. So I'm bringing up family member because I think a lot of people can relate to feeling physically ouchy. You know, you said your stomach hurt or headaches or be- or body pain and not knowing that this could be related to emotional pent up or have those tools, like you said, lying spread eagle. You know, I think a lot of people view fits of crying as negative. And really what you said is you make yourself cry by opening up and through that came peace. Yeah, by surrender. By surrender, by surrender. So you're, you know, my question was, how do we begin to be our own heroes? And you took us straight to you have to begin to heal, which took us to your method of what I think you call in your book, the star path. So the surrender, trust, accept it, release, and then receive. Yeah. So I think that's just such a tangible tool to take us to the present and as hard as it is because you're facing yourself and it's going to look ugly. You know, your stomach pain is now not there, but it hurts. It hurts to cry. It hurts to have your heart, you know, feel what you've been blocking it from. Maybe that's why the stomach took the grunt of it. But the opposite end is what you're telling us is some peace. It hurts. It actually hurts you more not to cry. And Mm. You know, that we, we think that it's our tears that are, that are making us feel sad. Our tears are actually the healing mechanism. So you already feel sad and you're feeling these things, but you're not acknowledging or surrendering to the expression of that feeling because what we don't express just stays inside. So I always say express it out or depress it in. (laughs) Depression isn't a huge mystery. You know, depression happens because people don't express their feelings. They don't express their anger. And so then anger turns into depression. And the same thing, when I was in grief, I realized, you know, grief felt like it could turn into cancer. I mean, it was so horrendous, you know, and I'm like, I'm not going to get cancer. (laughs) No, no, no. You know, like I'm, I'm going to do everything I can to empty this out of my body and allow my body because I, I believe that this life that we have is, is very precious. And while it took me a while to want to live after Richard died, I mean, I wanted to live for my kids. You know, I had, I had some small reasons to get up every morning, large reasons actually, to get up every morning for them. But then eventually, you know, I'm like, I, I, want, I hope to return to joy again. You know, I have a long life ahead of me and I, I want to return to joy again. And Somehow I just knew that intuitively I remember being in childbirth with my daughters and, and throwing out all of the methods of Lama's method that I learned in the classes. And I intuitively knew how to give birth and I, and I intuitively knew how to grieve. And I think we do as human beings, when we really get to the heart of, of allowing ourselves the feelings that we have, we actually have so much wisdom and, and it's in our it's in our DNA to heal. I mean, we we don't we want to live happy lives. Everyone does. Not everybody knows how to, but we all have the same desire. Nobody wants to be a victim of their life. They really don't. They just don't realize that's what they're choosing, you know? It's, it's, they don't realize that it, this is a buildup, you know, this, this whole emotional, spiritual and physical body, it all starts with the mind and, and then dis-ease comes from the dis-ease of the mind. And, and I mean, once we, we learn some basic guiding principles on how to do that, it, it's, it's not so hard and it doesn't make it less painful. Like I said early on, you know, this isn't this from heartbreak to wholeness journey isn't one I wish on anyone, but it's one that most of us, all of us will find ourselves on at one point in our lives or another for various reasons. 
And I think that's the key word for various reasons. You know, my story doesn't look like your story, but every page of this book has left me with, you know, something I could take away now and in the future of whatever difficulty it kind of is. And I really liked how you explained that healing isn't simple and that you wouldn't send military heroes to war if they weren't in amazing shape. And therefore, if you're going to really heal and feel it through, you need to be emotionally equipped too. And you said that, you know what you said, but you said that the, one of the ways to do it is to find your mess in the message, right? The, the message in the mess. Yeah, I'm the message in the mess. You really did read this book thoroughly over the weekend. <laughs> It was very easy to read and take home and underline almost every single thing you said, because I say it a lot on this podcast, but I want it to stain my brain. You know, I want these words to stay in my brain. And I said it to you before I hit record here. And the reason I read it so quickly is because it read like water. And you said in the beginning of the book, like this book wanted to be written and it flows through the pages like this. It's like you didn't even... You know, it's like you read it and you wrote it in two days and you it just flows perfectly. Nothing is forced. And that's why I took home so much. But anyway, yes. Tell us about finding the message in the mess. Yeah. You know, I, I love that saying so much because it, it just, it, you know, and one of my friends, Karen Salmonson, she has another one and she says, um, find your lesson in the blessing and it's called a blessing. I think I said that in there too. Find your lesson in the blessing and it's called a blessing. (laughs) Super (laughs) cute. The wordsmith. (laughs) But yeah, again, that goes back to the whole idea that life happens for us. And I know that's a really big philosophical turn for somebody to take, you know, because there's some pretty bad things that happen in the world. But, you know, even if we look at like this pandemic that we've been in and, you know, we we can see, a lot of people can really see how many good things came out of this for them. You know, I know I can. I mean, it's the paradox of life, you know, that there's two sides to everything, the duality in life. And you can look at life that way. It, it, it really pays huge dividends to your attitude and to your growth. And, and like I, you know, again, I want to say that when I'm in a negative situation or something, I'm not like, oh, goody, you know, <laughs> I'm not like, oh, this is great. This is happening to me. You know, it's not like that, but I'm, I'm going to always return to the idea that this has shown up to teach me something. There's some gold in this this negative situation, whatever it is, there's some gold. And again, that's just a mindset that you have to have it in order to really see it and to find it. You have to be open to that mindset. And it's just, it's just a wonderful way to live because it it helps you reconcile everything and all negative things can be reconciled by understanding that there is some kind of message in it for you. When it comes to to grief, you know, like you said, it can cause that physical pain, yet you don't believe that grief is the villain. It's not the villain and we shouldn't rush away from it. But what is the purpose of grief and how long can we allow it to stay in order to be that hero in our own life and, you know, beam what you beam, you give off light and realness. And it's clear that you're not also living in what people are calling right now, toxic positivity, like a lot, you know, just be happy. That's not you at all. (laughs) Tell us about that. Well, the first thing I want to say about grief is that there's a lot of myths about grief. And believe me, before I went through grief, I had them too. So I I bought into them too. Like one is that you're always sad. When you're in grief, you're not always sad. You're just, you're sad when you're sad, you know? And, And, you know, you have like, life is going on with you in grief. You know, it's sort of like when somebody gets the news of cancer, you hear people say, I'm living with cancer, you know, because they're not dying yet. You know, they're alive and they have this thing. Well, grief is kind of like that. You know, you're, you're living while you're in grief. So that's the first thing that you're not always sad. You know, you have moments of laughter, you have, mom- you have moments of joy in grief, but you are sad when you, when you're sad, you have something to be sad about your, your, your healing. So I like to say if grief is not uh, the enemy, it can be your friend because it's an emotional response to loss. Now we go through grief over so many things and sometimes people are in grief and they don't even know it. You know, like they're, they, they could be grieving something smaller than the loss of their life partner. Or, you know, we go through grief over lots of losses. We have physical ailments that show up and we're like, why do we feel this way? 
Well, because you're in grief, you know? And so that's the other thing I, I want to say about grief. And grief now isn't also love. It is not synonymous to love. Now we do grieve because we have loved and lost, but it isn't love to grieve. And I think this is something I've done a lot of work with widows with over the years is they feel guilty that if they aren't in grief, it means that they didn't love their spouse enough. Mm-hmm. And I maintain that, no, that's, that's not it at all. You know, you're grieving because you're, you're healing the loss of your spouse, but it doesn't mean to stay in grief is not love. I mean, it, it isn't, it's not self-love. It's not loving the other person. I mean, I know that my husband, um, I mean, I seriously could feel him pushing on me from day one to get out of grief. I mean, he was like a happiness guru. You think he wanted to see me in grief one moment over him? Absolutely not. <laughs> but yeah. I, I, I almost like shoo him away. I'd almost like, hey, leave me alone. I, I, I have to, I'm dealing with this, you know, I'm not going to be happy right now. I'm like, this is so grief. It, it, it isn't something that you can put a timetable on, but it's not a place to get stuck into either. I was curious when you were talking about the woman with at the car shop who has you know, her lost her husband five years ago, you know, you saw her as such a, I don't want to be stuck like her, but my question that I didn't ask, but I'll ask it now is, did you have any feeling of guilt in that moment or a similar one that you were able to put one foot in front of the other or question, did I not love him, you know, as much as I thought I did? Did things like that come up for you or oh, you're no, just- No, I no. Mean, I, I was in a deep grieving process. I mean, I I had no question about my love for him and and what I was feeling. But what I did see was I sure didn't want to be in that same place, you know, as if it happened yesterday, five years from that point, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I wasn't really sure what the way out was going to be at that point, but I sure was hoping like she, I felt like I had that conversation with her to show me that it didn't have to be like that, that that wasn't where I wanted to stay. And I could see she was Mm -hmm. stuck and people do. My friend, um, Christina Rasmussen calls it the waiting room, which is such a brilliant analogy for people who get stuck in grief. It's like you start to wait for life to happen. And it's only because it's too scary. You know, it's, it's, it's scary to step into life because it means you're stepping away. You know, a lot of, it feels like you're stepping away from the person that you lost. And then I've, I've always had to reframe it for myself. And I've always said, well, I'm not stepping away from Richard. I'm carrying him with me. I'm not moving on. I'm moving forward with him with me, you know? Mm. So a lot of these things we have to reframe for ourselves so that we make it livable, you know? And I, and I think that's what I've tried to do for people in loss is I've tried to reframe a lot of it so that they realize that, that there is joy and that there is reason to live and that their life partner or their person or anybody that they've lost in their lives wants them to live, wants them to be in joy, you know, that that's, that's our natural state of being is to be joyful. I I do promise my listeners that I'll ask the hard to ask questions and I only do it with sensitivity. So listeners do know that this came up in prior conversation with Christine. You know, one of the things that you had to deal with was sex. You said at 43 years old, I believe, when you lost Richard, you know, to have to think about a partner, you know, one of these ways that we get joy. How did you navigate that internally? What was it like to figure that out for yourself? Well, I mean, it was it was kind of funny because I, I remember I, I I really, you know, I mean, that's kind of a prime time in your life sexually for a woman is your early to mid 40s. And it's sort of like your body's kind of going through that last hormonal hurrah in a lot of ways. And it, it wasn't a very ideal time for me to lose. Richard, I'll tell you that. (laughs) So I I remember um, one of the funny evenings I had was I was out with a girlfriend and we were joking about, it had been about, I don't know, four or five months. And I, I don't think I'd gone four or five months without having sex. I mean, since I was a kid or whatever, you know, so it had been a long time and I um, was joking with her and she asked me how I was doing. And I said, uh, well, I, I kind of been looking at the pool guy lately. You know? I mean, like, I mean, men just, I mean, I'm just really, it's bad. I, I, I don't know what to do. And, I, and she goes, well, I have an idea. And so she took me to uh, one of those really seedy stores that has all the vibrators and stuff yeah. in them. And I, I didn't, I had never been in one in my life. I didn't even, I'd never used a vibrator ever. And she goes, okay, we're going to both get one. I don't need one because I have my husband, but he'll probably enjoy this too. And we're going to both get one. We picked one out. She goes, okay, now you need to go home and use this. 
and then you needed to call me and tell me how it was. <laughs> so I was like, wow, <laughs> that saved me, you know, that just, that saved me. And, you know, and, and I think about that as a journey of a woman, you know, I hadn't really known how to masturbate or touch myself in other ways without Richard part of it, you know, and, and so it was, it was like a whole different way for me to learn how to make love to myself. And it, and it, and it was really wonderful. Like it was like, I thought, geez, I wish I'd had one of these forever. You know? <laughs> yeah. And I, I think that's what like, you know, heartbreak to wholeness, like the words are so there. It's like learning to be whole. And I know that you've had partners since and you've had people enter your life and so forth. But I think that that's a question that nobody wants to ask another person. So, you know, I know you so bravely share your story. So thank you for getting into that part. And also like as a, in my young thirties, I'm kind of excited to learn that the sex drive increases because I thought it was just like, you know, you go up and then it just goes down. So oh, no, no. I think that age, you got, you got your best years ahead of you, girl. <laughs> <laughs> I think that age, you know, we've been told that aging is so da- such a downward spiral from the way we look to the way we feel. And I know that I've subscribed to that notion and that mentality and it's impacted me. So you've gotten me excited to age and feel good in my body from really an inside out place. And I mean, you just, you're just so vibrant from the inside out that you really embody that. And it's it's hard to believe looking at you through our Zoom camera right now that you have gone through what the tremendous amount of loss because you just you show up whole. And I, it's like Richard's still with you, I guess, you know, I guess, like you said, you carried him with you. And that's what I'm feeling and seeing and it, you know, radiates from you. So, you know, like you said, a lot of people are grieving right now. I think COVID has created a lot of people to lose loved ones on a whim, lose their jobs, lose where they were living, move, lose their cities, whatever it is. How can all of us kind of begin the letting go process? Because right now we're felt we're recording this early or late November and I feel myself getting ready to go through another episode of watching the devastation. I think we're about to go back on lockdown and yep. yeah, what what could be our are the first steps of letting go? I mean, it's helpful to know that the entire world is in reinvention right now, you know, to mm. keep that in mind that you're not alone in this process. I mean, everyone is reinventing and so many people have lost their careers. They're, you know, they're either furloughed from their career, they're laid off from their career, and I I think this is a time, you know, to just hunker in and realize that you you've got to do your inner work you know you you must do your inner work if you can't stay centered during this time and you can't stay grounded within and see life clearly and and really you know live more mindfully then you you're going to feel the effects of of the turmoil of this time in a different way than if you could ground in i i would definitely say meditation is key reading whatever inspires you is really this is a great time to do that because we are um, so much more quiet than we've ever been. You know, really noticing the small things to be grateful for. The more that we can attune to our gratitude, no matter what's happening, the more that we are going to feel better. And and it's very, it seems so simple, and it is. I know for um, that we all all have something to feel grateful for. And it might just be the smallest of things. But for a long time, we have to follow those breadcrumbs of gratitude. And we we just we just have to, you know, this just is going to be temporary. You know, life is very temporary. We're in it right now. And, you know, the more you can stay present, the more that you can help other people, you know, stay grounded, to stay centered, to feel better. That's going to make you feel better. You know, the more we hold out a helping hand, even though we're socially distanced, you can do this in a a variety of ways. Even just by a phone call or, uh, you know, hello at the grocery store through your mask or doesn't, you know, just small ways. It's going to make you feel better to make somebody else feel better. I think each one of us has to find our own inner peace right now. And that's really the key. And for those of us that are in the thick of it, or if you were to speak to somebody just in the thick of it, really stuck, what is one piece of advice that you would give them? Well, it's the same advice I give everyone who's stuck. And that is that you have to think of what you feel passionate about in the moment. And it has to be, it could be the smallest of things. Just like I talked about gratitude, what excites you will get you going. And it could be anything. I mean, anything that, that, 
that lights you up even just a little bit, you know, because if we follow that every single moment, we start to light up more and more and more. And suddenly you're going to just be in that space of, of movement, you know, and I think stepping forward is happens in baby steps. You know, you just find one thing to move toward. And if that doesn't work for you, find something else, you know, and, and that's what I always say to people about getting, getting back into their lives, getting started. Yeah, just follow the breadcrumbs. I think that's a lot easier to do than finding all the happiness. Just look for the little things that just light up your brain and the feel good and let it feel good. I think that's the thing. We also feel like everything has to hurt right now. Allow yourself to have a little bit of joy. Okay, two more wrap-up questions. You kind of said it a bit, but do you believe that everything happens for a reason? No, I don't. I don't think that everything happens for a reason. I feel that we have to find the reason why things happen. Mm. And that, yeah, that's 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 really the long and short of it is that I feel like we find the reason, but I, I don't think that everything happens for a reason. And last one's just a silly question, but we ask all of our guests, if you were a tree... What type of tree would you be? An oak tree. <laughs> Ooh, you are quick to answer that. Any reason that you'd share with us? I just think of oaks as just, you know, they grow from like a little acorn, you know, and you, you see they're just, they're so sturdy and strong and open to life and they're, they grow as big as the life that they can embrace. And, and that's me. I'm still growing um, to be as big as I can embrace, but it's getting bigger all the time. So, Wow, you really are. And it's so exciting to talk to you and get all this wisdom from you because, like you said, you're making getting older look really fun. And we don't see that a lot. And I so appreciate it. But I mean, I, I appreciate everything that you've given to this world. And I'm going to read the rest of your books, too. It's so interesting because you're Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, your husband's first book, actually changed my relationship. And I didn't even know that you two co wrote a book together. Don't sweat the small yeah, stuff for, for love. Yeah. Yeah. That one has my name all over it. So I'm going to drop a couple of your books in the show notes as well as where they can find you <laughs> because your work is transformative. So thank you for being you, Christine. And thank you for your time. Uh, thank you, Lisa. It's been wonderful. Thank you for doing the work that you're doing. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.